Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of A Good Drop. Uh, today, we are talking about Merlot. Yes, we're back to wine, back to red, and uh, prepare your ear holes because we're going to fill them with the sweet, sweet sounds of Merlot. I'm pretty excited. So, I'm Stu. I'm Michael. Cheers. Cheers. Do the thing. Let's drink the drink and talk the drink. Yes, let's talk, <laughs> talk about the, the drink, drink we're drinking. And uh, well, I suppose let's start by telling you what Merlot is. So Merlot is a red wine varietal that originates from the Bordeaux region of France. And uh, according to wine historians, the uh, first mention of it was uh, by a Bordeaux official in uh, 1784, who uh, supposedly declared that it was one of the finest wine varieties available there at the time. Wow. It's it's amazing stuff. So yeah, after, uh, after Old Mate, the official, uh, <laughs> began, um, you know, told everybody how fantastic the, uh, the wine was, it, uh, it began to gain popularity with winemakers and uh, they widely began planting the grape, which... Um, Funnily enough, the grape was sometimes uh, referred to as Little Blackbird, which is uh, uh, some people believe is a reference to the name Merlot, which uh, apparently has a a root in a similar-sounding word to Blackbird. But others believe that that name came from the fact that Blackbirds like to eat the grape. Right. And we may never know which of those is true. But that was yeah, a fun little aside. The... Uh, the important thing historically is that as the popularity grew, the planting spread out of the Bordeaux region and into other areas of France. And uh, as with most wine varieties, this one has uh, a good story with some drama in it. Yeah. Because uh, in February of 1956, France was hit by a severe frost that uh, destroyed a huge amount of their Merlot and Malbec vines. And uh, that was followed, of course, by them attempting to replant their vines. But there was an outbreak of vine rot. And for the next 14 years, right through till 1970, every pretty much every time a new vine was planted, it got rot. Wow. And so in, in an attempt to stop the rot and have it die off, the French government banned new plantings in 1970. Yeah. How, and, did, how does that make sense? I mean, well, they're going to lose money, so... Well, I guess because the... I think the, the rot is like a, some sort of a bug, like a, a, a sickness that plants get. Like a disease. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and so by preventing the planting of new plants that are susceptible to it, they kill they it off, kill I guess, off. was the, the plan. That makes sense. But what that did, of course, was leave a giant hole in the Merlot growing market. There was a massive demand and very little supply, and the rest of the world said, we'll have a piece of that cake, please. Yeah. And uh, by 1975, when France lifted the ban on new plantings, it was being grown all over the world. And uh, now it is one of the most widely grown grapes 
with 660,000 acres growing globally. Wow. Well, and two-thirds of that is still in France, yeah. even though they had a planting ban for five years. Yeah, for yeah five-year five planting ban. And um, yeah, it's, it's remarkable that they were able to come back from that and replant in a country the size of France to the point where they've got almost 440,000 acres. That's amazing. Just of Merlot. Yeah. It just it astounds me. I f- it almost sounds like the Mediterranean countries are... Just vineyards. Yeah, just, yeah. just vineyards. <laughs> like you go down the road and there's a vineyard. Like uh, Starbucks in America. Yeah, it's not. Let's it's not. Let's do a wine tour. It's, let's go next door. Let's go next door, because <laughs> it is a wine tour. Going next door is a wine tour. Yeah, and uh, yeah. So Merlot is uh, grown in. Uh, I'll just list off a few of the countries it grows in because there's a lot of them. It's grown in uh, Algeria, America, Romania, Australia, Argentina, Bulgaria, Canada, Chile, Greece, New Zealand, South Africa, Switzerland, Croatia, Hungary. Montenegro, Slovenia, <laughs> Mexico, Israel, and uh, onwards, of course, France is in there as Australia? well. Australia? And yeah, Australia. I listed Australia. Oh, did you? Oh. Yeah. And yeah, in Australia, we um, pretty much grow Merlot in all of the major wine regions. We grow it in Western Australia. We grow it in South Australia. We grow it in Victoria. Probably New South Wales, too. Um, possibly. Yeah, and... Um, it's it's one of those interesting ones, and we'll come to the wine that we come to the wine we're drinking in a moment after mm. I've described the uh, the interesting thing with Merlot uh, flavor profile wise, because as a varietal, it can make soft, velvety wines with uh, with plum flavors and fruity smoothness and very little tannins, or it can make fruity wines with uh, slightly more tannic structure or brawny, highly tannic styles that uh, have a similar profile to Cabernet Sauvignon. And um, the the amount of tannins being produced results from the temperature of the climate it's grown in. So you end up that, with... The, that's, that's exactly the same in, with all the other wines. Yeah, except, of course, until it was moved from growing only in France hmm. to everywhere else, nobody knew this. Oh, of course. Because... France is France, yeah. and it's cold. Yeah. And in uh, in cold climates, you end up with a more tannic wine, whereas mm. you get the softer flavors from grapes growing in warmer Very areas. Warm and yeah. uh, in fact, traditionally, the, the French, back when they first started growing Merlot, thought that it was only good for blending with other varieties. That makes sense if it's a tan- very strong tannin wine. Yeah. But no, you wouldn't mix it in Australia, it's it has much, a much more rounded flavour to it over here. Mm. Though, with that being said, it is still that uh, tendency to blend it has um, has held throughout the centuries. Yeah. In that it's actually still really hard to find an unblended Merlot. Straight Merlot. Because it's normally like Cabernet Merlot or... Yeah, or Shiraz, Shiraz Merlot, Merlot or... Yep. Yeah, mellow with something. Always mellow with hmm. something. But uh, yeah, mellows by themselves can be very nice. Now, the one we're drinking, the Liz Richardson Mellow, is from Victoria. Right. So, should be relatively warm? Yeah, so it's not cold, cold, like a South Australian one would be, but it's not as warm as one grown in Western Australia mm. would be. All right. So, it should be a more medium-bodied, and certainly the... Um, 
they describe this wine as being a medium-bodied wine with the uh, red berry and plum flavors. Yeah, there's, there's uh, a how they describe it. There's a smell. There's a smell in this wine that I can't quite pick. Maybe it is berry, red berries. Mm. And yeah, certainly the mm. the temperature of the region suggests that it should be exactly as they describe it. Yeah. So now I guess if we have it, yeah, definitely a very berry odor to it. Yeah. Well, while Mickle's tasting that, uh, I'll give you a bit of more recent history. Um, the, research, the researchers at the University of California made a discovery that the Merlot grape is a progeny of the Cabernet Franc grape, believe Ooh. it or not. So, yeah, it's, you know, mutated over, over the years. It probably never started as a Merlot grape, but I would say because it was cultivated in a particular way, then it uh, evolved into what it is now. Yeah, and certainly it's evolved into something that's I mean, yeah, it can be grown in a way where it tastes very much like a Cabernet, but can also be grown in a way where it tastes very different. Mm. All right, my like, turn. Yeah, this um, this particular one, it it is yeah, very very fruity, sort of smooth, subtle flavors, but it it wraps the tongue briefly in tannins that kind of almost float away into nothing. Wow. Just just as you were describing it, it did exactly that. <laughs> it's like you were in my mouth telling me what was happening. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really quite an experience drinking uh, drinking this Merlot. Wow, because yeah, it's super fruity and and yeah, has that berry those berry flavors and it's got that hint of tannins flavors like you'd expect to see in a Shiraz, but then they just disappear. Like, they, they don't have that same edge, mm. like a stronger red. It doesn't um, It doesn't linger. Like, it has that similar sort of a mouthfeel that you would expect to hang around until your next mouthful from, from a Shiraz or mm. a more full-bodied red, but it just kind of melts away. Yeah, it's quite pleasant. It's, it's very strong, very warming, this wine. Mm. Not... I would say this is the closest to a summer red that you could get. Yeah, I mean, obviously, <laughs> generally, you want to drink whites in, in summer mm. and reds in winter. But yeah, I, I think uh, the the softer, smoother reds are definitely mm. the more summery varietals. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, so um, let's talk very briefly about Liz Richardson, who made this. Because, yeah, she's um, got quite an interesting history. Yeah. Yeah, so she's she's been a qualified winemaker since 2004 and uh, first began making wines in Western Australia yep. before then uh, making wines in the Hunter Valley, the Yarra Valley, and Tasmania. Hmm. And then eventually she went to Italy to um, do her master's and uh, made wines while she was over there. Wow. And while she was in Italy, she developed... Uh, a real love for full-bodied red wines that you can have with a meal, which is you know kind of what wine is all about in Italy. I think just you know you have any kind of food and you have a red wine with it. Yeah, that makes sense. That um, is that is the culture. Yeah, and um, so then in uh, in two thousand nine, she began working at uh, Qualia Wines in Victoria, and. Um, now, at that same winery, she produces wines under her own Liz Richardson label. Hmm. 
kind of almost like a, a gypsy grower, yeah, a gypsy brewer, <laughs> yeah, like like a gypsy brewer, but with with wine. So she still works there as their um, senior winemaker for whites, I believe. Wow! But also, yeah, produces her own on the side, her own label. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 quite interesting. Interesting how she's come from learning about wine and then you know gone the whole way and studied. <laughs> Got a degree in a master's for it, and just kept going. Mm, and now makes a really nice metal. <laughs> yeah, I can see why you like it. Yeah, it's yeah, it's really good. I'm I'm really glad that I haven't had a bad wine. Like you haven't given me a bad wine yet. I, I don't think I have any in my rack. <laughs> I mean, this was the only non-blend Merlot I had in my wine rack. Right. I I was, when I started looking through my rack, I started becoming concerned that I may have to oh, no. purposefully buy a non-blend Merlot, because wow. I didn't want to do a blend for this episode. I wanted it to be a straight Merlot. Yeah, so we can really experience what a stereotyp- stereotypical Merlot is. Yeah. Exactly. Or I've, an iconic Merlot. Mm, I've had some lovely Merlots mm. before, and certainly on, on par with this. Yeah, I was glad that I found that I had this one in there. Awesome. And uh, I suppose that brings me around to, let's talk about our odd drop, because I found quite a good one for, for today. Oh yeah, this name made me giggle. Mm, and it's <laughs> been a while since we've had a good drop, or an odd drop, or a top drop. Mm. And uh, today our odd drop is our top drop. Yeah, we sort of rolled it into one because not only ha- does it have a great name, but it's also supposed to be quite fantastic. So if, if you can get your hands on a bottle of it, let us know. Yeah, because um, it actually won double gold at the 2018 San Francisco Chronicle Wine Competition. And uh, it's apparently a rich ruby in colour with uh, purple hues and... Uh, has aromas of blueberries with hints of spice and earthiness. Ooh. So it sounds very nice. And uh, this wine is called... So this is the specifically the one that got the double gold, was the 2015. Yep. But they've been making it before 2015, and they're still making it now. And that is the Marilyn Merlot. <laughs> so it's Marilyn Wines, Marilyn Merlot. <laughs> yeah, I, I really enjoy the fact that some... Well, more and more brewers and uh, vineyards and winemakers or drink makers are leaning away from sexual-sounding names. And, yeah, being clever. Yeah, because anyone can, you know, make a double entendre name for a drink, but that's easy. That's the easy part. If you want something clever like Marilyn Merlot or Monsters, Monsters Attack... Yeah, that that takes a bit of thought. Yeah. And uh, apparently, Marilyn Wines have been around making Marilyn Merlot for some 34 years. Wow. Or something like that. I So that's... Yeah, so that would be... 34 years would mean that it came into existence in the 90s? 30, 30 Actually, 34 years. years would mean... The 80s. If it had been around for... Th- yep. Yeah. Late 80s. 1984. 1984. It, it would be Ooh. if it had been around for 34 years. I was way off on my math. Wow. So yeah, they've they've been doing it since 1984. <laughs> what a year! And we've only just only stumbled just upon them. It. Yeah, but that's okay. 
now now that we know about it, we can enjoy it. Yeah, now we can find Marilyn Malot. Awesome. Um, if you guys can hear a little bit of noise in the background, I'm sorry. There's a party going on nearby, and we've done our best to seal up the the room, but some sound is still leaking through. Yes, so sorry about that. Sorry about that, but I'll do my best to clean clean it up in post. Um, yeah, I haven't had much experience with Malos, um, though the only times I remember specifically going for a Malo is when I'm going to make mulled wine. Ah, yes. Because that's got the the smoothest out of the red wine, smoothest uh, mouthfeel out of the red wines. And because it's already a fruity wine, it goes well with things that you'd normally mix into mulled wine, like cinnamon, oranges, cloves, uh, star anise, all that fun mm. stuff. Yeah, that that makes perfect sense. Hmm. Um. Yeah. I. This is probably the second time I've ever had Merlot on its own. <laughs> so it's it's good. It's good. I'm I'm learning. Learning stuff every time. And is is it better than the last Molo you had? Yes. Yes, it is. That's not hard, though. Right. <laughs> Most of the wines I've tried, thanks to you, have been so much better than previous wines. Mm, and uh, hopefully we've been able to help our listeners make uh, better choices as well. Because mm. uh, if those of you playing along at home paid attention to what we were saying about how the region affects the flavor, especially of this particular varietal, then that can help you to look at where a wine is from mm. and choose one that's going to fit the pla- the flavor profile you want. Yeah. Though, actually, that is a good question. How do you pick a good wine or a good Merlot that's on the shelf when you at the store? Mm. Well, yeah, I mean, look at the region mm. and look at the year... And check the divot in the bottom of the bottle. So Basically. I've so say I've gone to our favorite bottle shop, and there are thousands of wines in front of me to choose from. Yes, I need to buy a bottle of something to to take to a dinner party. What would I? What would I need to th- consider when picking a bottle? Mm. Well, if you're picking a bottle to take to a dinner party, I would be thinking about what a, what's being served. Yep. What season is it? Like, is it summer? Is it winter? Is it spring? And, um, yeah, after you've thought about those things, then, yeah, look at, yeah, the the important things to look for then. Start by finding one you like the look of. Hmm. Because that's the easiest way to pick one off the shelf. Right. Then check where it's growing. Check the divot in the bottom of the bottle and look at what year it is. And see if there's any awards on the bottle? Yeah, uh, awards certainly uh, is is a giveaway for if it's probably a good one. Mm. But um, say if you see, say if it were this year, if it were twenty eighteen, and you saw a twenty fourteen from you know a good region for producing the sort of thing you wanted, like you if you wanted a a light bodied red, you you know might grab a Merlot from. Uh, from Margaret River in Western Australia, for example, because it would be a very smooth, light-bodied red right. wine. But if you then grabbed one and checked, and it was a 2014, and the bottom of the bottle was flat, yeah, you'd go, this probably isn't good anymore. Oh. Because if the bottom of the bottle is flat, that's a quaffing wine. 
and should be drunk within about two years. Yeah, within one to two years, exactly. But if it had a, a reasonable, de- reasonably deep divot or a medium-sized divot it, and it was four years old, it'd probably be good to drink now. Yeah, exactly. So mm. that's that's the stuff you want to take into account. I mean, obviously, there's still the chance that you can make these choices and, you know, have a miss. Mm. But it improves your odds of getting something good. Uh, if the bottom of the bottle is flat and it's a 2016, it's perfect for drinking right now. Yeah. It's probably at its best. Now, this one that we're drinking actually has a quite a reasonable divot in the bottom of it. But as it's a 2016, it's and it's late 2018, it's probably, yes, it would have improved over the next couple of years, but it's still really nice now. Mm-hmm. Because you don't have to age your wine, you can just check the divot and know that it will improve over time. So, but so you could grab any bottle and drink it today, and it wouldn't be bad. Yeah, but like it even, could be better. Yeah, even something meant for aging will still be should still be good when you get it, but mm. it would be better if you cellar it. Now, obviously, if you don't have a proper cellar to cellar it in, then you can't cellar it for as long. Right. That makes sense. We should probably do a, a episode on how to pick a good wine. Like expand this little segment out to um, to help people that need emergency right. wines for a dinner party. How to pick a good wine <laughs> for any situation. Yeah. Because I would say a lot of people struggle with that. Mm. How to look like a wine expert. Yeah. How to taste wine. That That's a question that people mm. would love. Yes. Roll it around in your mouth. Spit it out. Shock everyone <laughs> at the table. <laughs> Uh, I think we might make this a short one, given that the party's getting louder. Yeah. And we're running out of things, things to, talk to talk about. about. <laughs> so, what are we talking about next week? Yeah, so, um, next week we will be talking about something that we've been talking about talking about <laughs> for quite a while. Ah, uh, yes, our, uh, our finally opened homebrew mead. Yes. Yes, we finally, we've made it. The filtration process has begun. Mm. We've uh, had a taste, and... And uh, we're ready to tell you all about it in the next episode, from from concept to finished drinkable product. Mm. And how you could do the same thing yourself. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be a very instructional sort of an mm. episode. We'll, we'll be sure to tell you in enough detail that you can do something with it yeah well it's not as complicated as you'd think all it takes is patience (laughs) yes you won't believe how easy it is you will totally believe how easy it is uh so if you want to hear more about us you can jump on the uh, apple podcasts or your favorite podcast app including podbean we are a good drop all about alcohol uh if you want to find us on the socials we are a good drop podcast on uh, Instagram and Facebook. Yep, and YouTube. Oh, and YouTube, yeah, absolutely. Of course, we have an old-fashioned website, a gooddrop.com.au. And if you've got any questions, feedback, uh, any, homebrew story, any homebrew or Merlot stories of your own, send us an email to agooddrop at gmail.com. And I th- that's all the plugs. Yep, so until next time. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.